millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. We are your hosts. My name's Gavi. I'm here with my BFF and co-host, cult expert, cult survivor, Sadie Carpenter. How are you doing? I am doing okay. How are you? Uh, today is the first of our two Halloween episodes because we figured that uh, uh, it's a, we're, we're reviewing a movie today. We're mo- reviewing a movie called A Thief in the Night, which is a rapture movie, and we decided that we didn't really want to do our only Halloween content to be rapture content because we know that that's hella triggering for a lot of people. Yeah. I think a lot of people will really enjoy this episode. I watched this movie and I was not nearly as triggered as I thought I would be. So that was nice. Um, But I also know there are listeners who just need to skip anything in times related. So this is the first of our two Halloween episodes for this year. You have our permission to skip whatever you want to skip uh, and take care of yourself. Yes, always. Um, by the way, folks, I am. <laughs> I feel like this is on me. I scheduled an, a rapture-related episode. I did not know that a war was going to happen that has everybody formerly taught rapture theology very, very triggered. I had no way of knowing that would happen, and yikes. I'm sorry, people. <laughs> And there was also the earthquake in Afghanistan. There was an earthquake in Seattle too, which has me fully freaked out. I I have a burner Instagram account that I use to follow a bunch of fundies. And like some of them are like famous fundies and some of them are just like regular fundies. And 
I kept seeing people posting things like the rapture is coming. I can just feel it. And I'm just like, Oh, this is, this is not the take. I don't know. I'm, I've seen no a lot man of- knows the day or the hour. No man knows the day or the hour, uh, which we, you know, which, which is a, a major point in the movie that we're going to review today. No, I saw, um, I've seen a lot of takes on this. Some of them I thought were very poignant. Some of them I thought were kind of lukewarm. Some of them I thought were like kind of dog. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to discuss my personal opinions on the whole thing over there now, because I don't really feel like this is the platform or this is the, the place for that. What I will discuss, however, is Morgan Oligus, her take on it. This is like a garbage take, but this is the take from Morgan Oligus. She, she reposted, um, quote from a man who was, uh, who's, wife and and children were taken hostage by hamas uh and her take was praying for the absolute heartbreak comma tragedy and evil people are living in right now um of praying course she doesn't use the oxford about, comma yeah that's that's fine whatever um actually it's kind of classist to make fun of people's syntax especially on social media i don't give a about that no this is the it is it, i i typically want to stray away from that however i have a strong personal pro oxford comma stance oxford comma makes things easier i'm i'm not mad at morgan for that the and it's it's a little bit i mean people when they're in their emotions they post like weird syntax stuff on social media all the time i do that she goes on to say praying for peace that surpasses all understanding okay that's good and then she says praying these people who feel lost and alone turn to jesus and know they are not alone i can't even wrap my mind around this crying emoji praying hands emoji heart hands emoji israeli flag emoji Uh, man could you could you not so you know one thing that I really like to do is edit things that social media fundies say that are really offensive and show just how easily it could have been so much less offensive. Yes. Um so instead of praying these people who feel lost and alone turn to Jesus, praying these people who feel lost and alone feel God's presence with them. Just the, the unnecessary evangel- evangelistic take here. Yeah, especially when it's a conflict between people of religions that neither of those religions are Christianity, and especially regarding Christianity's uh, previous incursions into this territory and like what with the Crusades and all that. Uh, yeah, the Crusades and all that. Saying like, you know what would fix this if everyone was Christian is kind of the... <laughs> That's not the sorry. Thing. When you put it that way, it is it is pretty ludicrous. It it, it is pretty ludicrous. Like man, it's like, Mor- Morgan, the atrocities that have been committed in this part of the world in the name of our God, honey. <laughs> <laughs> man, I mean, I'm I'm laughing a bit. We're recording this on the 11th, and I don't know what the situation is like over there right now because. Yeah, it could, like, by the time this episode comes out, it could be significantly better or significantly worse, and obviously we're hoping for the former. Yeah. I hope that within the next two weeks, everyone actually decides that they're going to be best friends and not hate each other anymore, even though that's really unlikely. 
uh anyway thanks for uh listening to our spiel on that uh, <sighs> but today we're talking about a rapture movie which is more triggering for some of you less triggering for me than this shit. so uh we're, we're reviewing the movie a thief in the night and we're gonna give you our thoughts on that movie but before we get into that, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you are a fan of our show, then there are numerous things that you can do to support us. One option is that you can join our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast, uh, where you will find an extended and uncensored and ad free version of today's episode, as well as our other episodes. Yay. And you can also join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. And without further ado, I think it's time to thank our patrons. Is is that what we're supposed to do right now? Or am I missing? Let's thank our pa patrons. All right. Yeah. Uh, so we have three I gave it all to your patrons. Your names are Kathleen Moncrief, Melissa Mosley, and Todd Dale on behalf of his beautiful wife, Madeline Antrim. Thank you guys so much for being our I gave it all to your patrons and supporting the show. We really do appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much to the I Gave It All to Your Patrons. And our Faith Promise Missions to Your Patrons. Your names are Alex P., Alex Todd, Ali Allen, I'm Israel Hi. Yes, I am too. Anisha Patel, Autumn of Our Discontent, Brittany, Brooke Tolly, Krissa, Crystal Patterson, Dora J., Eleanor Donahue, Hannah Ross, Hannah Montana. Oh my God a real celebrity in our patreon thank you so much hope norum horton here's a shane janine colin jen kaharski jessica tambo jonna cat henwood k tur we kristen marie learned vixen linda morgan Lindsay goss madeline antrim madeline cusick maggie fink marlena stuve marcia millard mary williams Mary Martin, Megan Arndt, Rob the Methodist, Stephanie Johnson, Steve and Amy, Susie, Tara McNamara, and as always, Wes the Cowboy. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and joining our Patreon and our Faith Promise Missions, and I gave it all to your Patreon, as well as everyone else who is uh, members of our Patreon at another tier. You can tell how fried my brain is by... Ugh. Yeah. And um, everyone who shares our show on social media and recommends it to your friends, we really do appreciate you guys. To those who support us financially and those who support us other ways that are non-financial, we appreciate you so much. We have the show that we have. We have the platform that we have because of our listeners, and we are so thankful. In general, we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show, including but not limited to suicide and mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD, PTSD symptoms, child abuse, mental, physical, and sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. 
In most episodes, we will mention at least a few of these topics, but we try to avoid any graphic detail unless it's relevant to the story we're telling. And we do our best to give the audience a heads up before we go into detail on any of these topics. The movie that we're reviewing today is A Thief in the Night. It is fully about the rapture. If you want to know the combination of snark and theology that we're going for here, it'll be similar in tone to the Burning Hell episode we did last year around this time. We will be discussing all things in times left behind rapture stuff throughout the episode from start to finish. We will also discuss uh, snakes, gore, beheading, and blood transfusions very briefly throughout this episode with uh, much less detail. Let's get into this movie. Do you, so do you want to give us some of the history of this film? This film is called A Thief in the Night. Yeah. And uh, for those who may want to see this movie, I found it for free with ads on Amazon Prime. So free with ads. That was cool. Yeah. The Thief in, uh, A Thief in the Night is the first movie actually in a four-part series. And I am, I have seen at least the first three. I may have seen all four. So I'm going to fill people in at the end. When we get through with our plot discussion, I'll tell people kind of what happens in the later movies in the series. Um, this movie is unique, maybe for a couple of reasons. It is... As far as these like Christian B movies go, it is really one of the most distributed, as far as I can tell. Uh, one comment that I read online, someone said that if you were a teenager or a young person in the 70s or the 80s in evangelicalism, it's almost impossible that you didn't see this movie. Um, so the original Thief in the Night movie came out in 1973, and it was, I think it, it had such mainstream popularity that it would have been seen by people who were participating in the tail end of the Jesus movement, but it was also seen by a lot of IFB young people. Some IFB pastors came through the Jesus movement and then kind of pop up in the IFB later in life. Um, I think this is the arc that John Todd, I mean, he kind of did that arc because he originally got involved with Christianity through a Jesus movement coffee house with a Pentecostal preacher. And then he later ended up heavily affiliated with the IFB uh, through California pastors uh, such as Roland Rasmussen. Um, that pipeline is not particularly uncommon within IFB preachers. You will hear a lot of testimonies. Like I was a some hippie on the beach in the seventies and I got saved through the Jesus movement. And then they kind of migrate further right into Baptist fundamentalism from there. So the, the style of music that we hear in this movie uh, the evangelistic styles that we see in this movie, some of the uh, themes and thoughts of this movie, and in many cases, this movie itself spread all the way over to the IFB 
subculture. This movie was shown at my church growing up. I can't remember what the occasion was. It may have been a watch night service where the, the whole church watched this movie together. It, the, it makes most sense for it to have been a watch night service or maybe a holiday gathering that we did that wasn't a, a you know Sunday or Wednesday church service. But I watched this movie in church growing up, and I also watched it at home. My brothers and I were not allowed to have any kind of scary movie, horror movie in our house because that would bring demons into the household. So if we wanted to watch a scary movie on a Friday night, this is what we would put on. And it was terrifying at that age as you know, a preteen or teenager. Yeah, I find it interesting, though, that you were watching this movie because the characters in this movie are not IFB. They're very much hippie Jesus movement type people. That's how they're dressed and that's how they're acting. Yes. So there was a question a couple weeks back when we had a listener questions episode about what makes a movie or a TV show okay for the IFB. And I mentioned that in, in our little corner of the IFB that I grew up in, a movie where women wear pants would probably be seen as okay as long as the theology, if there's any theology in the movie, holds up all right. And as long as the characters aren't seen like drinking or smoking without consequences or gambling for fun without consequences. So this movie fits by that metric because everybody who does bad things gets a bad ending. There is also a Baptist preacher in this uh, movie. I assume he's a Baptist preacher who very much has the Baptist preacher Lego hair. Yes. Style that I've seen on many a Baptist preacher. Yes. Especially from this era. I like that. I was wondering, is that is that like a, a trope? It is because this is during the 70s. Having long hair or having hair that wasn't combed is was seen as oh, that's part of, you're part of the hippie movement. You're part of the counterculture. Uh, you're scary and bad. And preachers like Jack Hiles begin to really crack down on men's hairstyle rules and encourage the men in their church to cut their hair shorter and shorter and comb it very precisely to differentiate themselves from the worldly hippies. Or maybe he was just telling them to have shorter hair because that way his strong comb over would you know appear more normal than say somebody who had very long hair well people who had hair would do the comb over to look like jack hiles because emulating people bought the same shoe brands as jack hiles people bought the same shirt brands as jack hiles because emulating him was seen as asking God to give you the same power of the Holy Spirit that Jack Hiles has. See, that is kind of a judo move, is that if you're going bald, then you just make the bald hairstyle very cool so people <laughs> who have hair will do it and nobody will suspect you. 
I think it's genius. Okay. <laughs> Would you? So, should we jump into the plot of this movie? Yeah, sure. So the the plot of this movie is that uh, a young woman named Patty. Uh, she in in the first scene of the movie, she wakes up in her bed, and the rapture has happened. She hears a voice on the radio declaring that a bunch of people have gone missing right in, in the middle of the morning that cars have crashed that there's been uh, a huge or, or people have just disappeared and vanished right and that's led to all sorts of death and destruction because because planes have gone down and doctors have disappeared in the middle of surgeries and so on and so forth her her husband is gone from his bed and then we get sort of like a flashback to her being a young woman in church at the teen service in church um, in the Jesus movement. And there is a young man who is preaching that everybody needs to get saved before the rapture happens and before Jesus comes back. And they play this song called, I wish we'd all been ready. I'm not going to, you know, knock this song in any way. I thought it was a good song. I enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. So I want to point out first, this movie is primarily told in an extended flashback. So Patty wakes up in bed. There's a radio announcer doing some exposition about some people believe that this is the rapture, a mythical Christian event where blah, 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 blah. And from there, it's immediately hard into this flashback of her at the Jesus Movement church service. A lot of Christian B-movies that I've seen are just not well-written or well-directed enough to make this kind of extended flashback coherent at all. And this one is. So that's good. It was very clear as soon as the thing happened that as soon as there was the jump to them at the church service, it became clear, okay, this is a flashback because you could see that the person who was preaching that the rapture was going to come, the rapture had not happened yet. And then we get a flashback to somebody preaching that the rapture was going to come. Right. So when you see this Jesus movement church service and you hear the song, I wish we'd all been ready, um, which is kind of the theme song for this movie and the theme song for the Jesus movement focus on the rapture. Number one, my dad met my mom because he was the lights and sound guy for like that kind of Jesus movement band in Panama City Beach, Florida. Really? Yes. And the the song itself, I wish we'd all been ready. It's not going to lie. It's a good song. It's a good track. Having had to listen to a lot of Christian music. Over the course of doing this podcast, I've, I've listened to like Hiles Anderson tour groups. I've listened to the Fundy Children songs. I've listened mm-hmm. to Striper. I've listened to like Hillsong music. This song, not bad at all. Not bad at all. Good melody, good harmonies. Uh, the the piano, like the 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 hook of the song that I wish we'd all been ready. That's been in my head for like two days. Oh, it's still consistent. This song consistently gets stuck in my head. Um, especially when I go grocery shopping, because there's a line in the song, like a piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. And with the way grocery prices are, this gets in my head every time. So this song was too syncopated and too heavily associated with the Jesus movement for most IFB, but my dad loved this movie and loved this song. So because he was the pastor, he could pull rank. 
at our church and my family sang this song in church when I was growing up. Wow, that's really sweet. So this this has kind of a, a positive association for you with that memory. Yeah, this song and then the other uh, Jesus movement song that I have a really positive association with is the song Rise Again, which is, is very much in the same style. Oh, interesting. I don't know that one. Maybe you'll have to show that to me. Maybe we'll do like a, a episode where it's like Christian music review, but it's like Jesus movement Christian music review. That would be very interesting to do. Uh, I, I would. I think I'd probably much prefer that style of music rather than listening to a bunch of Hillsong music again. I am. Yeah, I'm pulling the song now. I'm looking for a more vintage recording because the first thing that came up was it was the Gaithers version, and you want something that's more vintage. Uh, but I'll send you a YouTube link to that song eventually. I think you'll if you liked this one, you'll like that one. Yeah, and you know, I mean, wh when I went into watching this movie, I was like in earnest trying to enjoy this movie and i did get some enjoyment out of this movie because you know this the, it wasn't a very complicated movie I'll, I'll say that much but the plot was coherent it made sense the actors in their the script felt like it was written and while some of the bits of it did feel like they were maybe a bit i don't want to say too forced in that there was like a of course there's going this is a christian movie you have to expect that there's going to be a bit of over explaining in the dialogue about what is going to happen in the Bible and somebody saying something that is going to happen in the Bible because they have to say it exactly word for word. Right. There's some like cheesy dialogue. There's a lot of like, what is the rapture exposition? But the story is coherent and the actors are not bad. Yeah. So for the first half of the movie, essentially, it does the sort of Christian movie trope where the main character, who is named Patty, and she is the one who goes to this Jesus movement uh, teen service with her friends. It's about her having many opportunities to get saved and people around her decide to get saved. She doesn't take those opportunities. Right. So her friend Janet, so she and her friend Diane and her friend Janet leave the sur after the service is over. They decide that they're going to go to the fair. Janet decides that she wants to actually go back to the Jesus Movement service because she was interested in what happens. And she sits down with a young woman there, and that woman witnesses to her, and Janet gets saved. Right. So this is more exposition because. Janet going to get saved gives the movie a place to shoehorn in the plan of salvation and a sinner's prayer like real early in the movie. At least the, at least the acting in the scene didn't suck. No, and the thing that I and I, I do expect that we're going to see that in a Christian movie, but at least it came in in a way that felt like it was relevant to the plot and it didn't feel like it was just a thing that was sort of shoehorned in there right like it's relevant to the plot and it's relevant to janet's character because as we see her character develop there is a bare minimum of character development for some of the characters in this movie which again not something you see in every christian movie janet and patty are two people who both they they are both good people and they're both kind to other people and they're not out here trying to be sinners on purpose in contrast to their friend diane who is 
who, who, you know, is maybe a bit more worldly. Yeah. Diane and then later her boyfriend, Jerry, are just scoffing and making fun of the whole, the whole deal. Janet goes very hard into this Jesus movement stuff. She's all about it. And Patty is basically of the position. I don't really need to pray that prayer. I don't really need to accept my own sinfulness because I'm not that sinful. I'm a good person. I consider myself a Christian. I go to church. I follow the Ten Commandments. I read the Bible sometimes. So while Janet goes back to the Jesus Movement meeting to get saved, Patty and Diane stay at the fair and they meet two eligible young men. So Patty meets uh, Jim and Jerry, right? Jim is studying to be a veterinarian and he works at the zoo uh, and they live in Iowa and he works at the zoo and Jerry is studying to be a doctor and he has sideburns and a mustache and his facial hair is so distracting. (laughs) Well, he's supposed to be evil, (laughs) but he didn't really seem evil. He seemed like kind of a fun guy. He was you know, he kept like talking like a Chicago gangster as like a little shtick to Diane and she was into it. She thought it was cute and funny. And I thought it was kind of funny. Yeah. Jerry is working as an ambulance tech while he is working on his medical degree. Uh, this is relevant later in the movie. Speaking of cheesy dialogue, though, there's this little little exchange between Patty and Janet. So Janet has come back from getting saved. Patty has come home from the fair to wherever they're living. Patty says to Janet, it's too bad you weren't at the fair. We met some really nice guys. And Janet comes back and says, it's not too bad. I met Jesus Christ. (laughs) So, and that struck me as like incredibly chick track dialogue. If, If you meet somebody who has just gone through a big life change in that they decided to become a much more religious person, they'll tell you about it. They yeah. want to, they they want to show off that they, this is a life change that they're excited about, and they want to tell you about it. Right. So it's not like incredibly unnatural. Just the the way that the turn of phrase was made me think of a chick tract. It did a little bit, but this di- it didn't feel. It felt a little bit cheesy, but it didn't feel shoehorned the same way that I've seen things to be shoehorned in other Christian movies. That's fair. Jim and Patty, Diane and Jerry, and Janet and the preacher from the Jesus Movement thing become kind of a motley friend group. Uh, They go water skiing at the dam. They are always wanting to hang out together. And all the preacher can talk about is how Jesus is coming back literally any minute. And every time we see the preacher, he's like... (laughs) lying on the grass talking to people about how Jesus is going to come back and doing exposition for stuff that's going to happen later in the movie. And then Jerry makes fun of him for it. Right. And then Jerry and Diane are like off in the corner, totally uh, heckling him the whole time. Honestly, I did feel like Jerry and Diane were like, you know, those guys have it right. They're cool. It's like these, there are several conversations And the preacher is just lying, like he's always posed on the grass at a picnic, looking up into the heavens and talking about things that are prophesied to happen during the tribulation. 
um, and doing exposition. And I did kind of wonder, so you remember in The Satan Cellar, Mike Wernke was always talking about how he was sitting under this particular tree on campus and educating all the underclassmen about all these things he was learning about and how smart he was and he was everybody's guru and that sort of thing. Like, I kind of wonder if he may have taken inspiration from this movie. When did, so this movie came out in 1973. Mm-hmm. Satan Seller. Seller came out. Oh, 72. Came out. Yeah. So maybe not. I do think that it's possible that because the, watching this movie, it did feel kind of like this is a thing that could actually happen. My parents were born in 54 and 56. And so when they were growing up, I think my dad graduated high school in like he was born in 54. So he would have graduated high school in 1972. And my mom would have graduated high school in 1974. The way that they described it, like my mom was from Southern California. My mom is from Southern California and she described going to, you know, just going to the park and hanging out with people and listening to people to, you know, somebody had an acoustic guitar and, you know, the, and they would all be like at the park under like a tree on a blanket or something like that. And that's kind of how I pictured this because it was around the same kind of time. So laying on the grass and talking to people was just kind of what you did in the seventies. Yeah. And I assume that that's sort of what Mike Warnke took that idea from. And that might be why it caught on because people could be like, yeah, I know there's a guy who's like a spiritual guru, like a new age spirituality guru that, hangs out under a tree at a college campus. I I know who that guy is. There's a guy on my campus that's like that. So that's sort of the thing that I kind of thought of about Mike Warnke when he said that. Oh, but I just think that he lacked like the riz to actually be that guy. I think he saw that guy and thought, oh man, that guy's cool. I wish I could be like him. So he made up a story where he was. Yeah. It's just, it's really interesting because now our listeners have us in their ears. Like now our listeners sit around and listen to us talk, <laughs> except for they're probably like folding laundry or washing dishes or working or driving, driving the work. Or something. Yeah. yeah. This, this, I think we see at least two different scenes that are kind of similar to this, like pastors doing expo- exposition, Jerry and Diane are laughing it off. Jim is listening, but not really telling us what he thinks about it yet. And Patty is just making excuse after excuse like no i'm a good person i'm not sure about all this rapture stuff i don't think i need to deal with this we see patty going to her church and her pastor is preaching higher criticism humanism type stuff the pastor says do any of you really think that you're wicked enough that Jesus would have to die to pay for your sins. No, we're good people in Christianity. It's just the way that we approach God as moral people. Is there like a church denomination where you would be likely to hear that? I would I would think in a Unitarian Universalist church, you might. That was sort of my impression as well, but it seemed to me like the church that she was at was very much like high church. It looked like it was either Catholic or it looked like it might have been Lutheran or something like that. It's it's not a Catholic church, and the pastor is wearing a suit, so that complicates things because it couldn't be Episcopal, where you might hear something like that. 
and it couldn't be um, a Lutheran church. Most Lutheran churches, I think the pastors would have still worn robes in the 70s for sure. Okay, but I did I did get the feeling like because when we saw Janet at church, the pastor at that church, it was very much more like a low church kind of thing. You could tell that it wasn't it looks the same, like an like, IFB church. Yeah, it didn't have the stained glass windows. It didn't have like the big stone. You, you, it didn't look like it was a church that was made out of out of like stone, almost like in Gothic style or something like that. Right. So while Patty is in church hearing this, oh, the pastor also takes a crack at evolution um, or at creationism. He's support in support of evolution, which is meant to let us know that he is a really bad guy. Um, while Patty is in this church service, Jim is at his job as a vet at the zoo, and he gets bitten by a dangerous snake. Dun dun dun. This was uh pretty intense this scene was pretty intense he gets taken to the hospital yeah and just trigger warning like if if people decide to go watch this movie after hearing about it on the podcast this scene is pretty explicit like there's it's extended amount of time and it's pretty explicit about like medical stuff they're showing you ventilators and other medical equipment that is being used on gym and it's um maybe a bit much for some people including me uh, so this is uh, apparently a very dangerous snake, and they're trying to to uh, keep him alive. They have him um, on life support, and the way that they have decided to keep him alive is by getting somebody whose body has built up an immunity to snake venom, mm -hmm. give him a blood transfusion. But in order to get that guy to give him the blood transfusion they have to like fly him there on a plane right they do not have there is not an antidote available for the snake that bit him but there's this one guy who's been bitten by the same snake and similar snakes multiple times and survived so if jim if jim can stay alive until that guy comes to give him a transfusion he may be able to live and this is highly relevant later in the movie. Gavi, did you see how they were going to use this later in the movie coming? Maybe, but give me a second, because I was going to say that this movie clearly supports immunization and vaccines. <laughs> uh, this movie is not as anti-vax as it would be if it were made today, that's for sure. Although, snake venom is not a disease. So, like, I'm not sure that, like, the... Like, having the... Are antibodies a thing for venom in the same way that they're a thing for like diseases and, and for viruses? I don't know I'm, about that. I'm really not sure. I did not fact check this portion of the movie. And I mean, you do have to have a certain amount of suspension of disbelief to go into this movie. Yeah. So Jim gets this blood transfusion he does survive and after he survives he goes to a real bible preaching church where a pastor is preaching and giving us yet more exposition about the rapture <laughs> this movie is a lot of exposition it really does uh although less than i would expect from most christian movies can you comment on the width of the ties in this movie Oh yeah, I mean it was very 1970s. People have like very thick ties. They have the uh 
I mean, I have some clothes from the seventies that I sometimes wear for fun, you know, but like the, the thick tie man, or, you know, the, the leisure suit with a turtleneck sweater that yeah. outfit showed up a couple of times, like just primo stuff, men in boots that have like three inch heels on them mm-hmm. that showed up a bit as well. I thought it was very vibey. Yeah. The very, very short cut off shorts on men also. Yeah. So during this scene, when Jim attends the real Bible-believing church, you see Janet's family has visited with her little sister, and the little sister is so is shown absorbing this message about the rapture and you know you got better get saved and all of that. And this little girl has like a full-on freakout because she she sees a pot on the stove with no one cooking in it, and she thinks the rapture has happened and she's been left behind. Yeah, so Janet's little sister is shown absorbing this message about the rapture, and then there's a scene where later on after this sermon, she walks into the house and her family has gone grocery shopping without her. And she doesn't know that they've just gone grocery shopping. And the kid freaks out because she thought the rapture came and she got left behind. And then when the family comes home, they comfort her and tell her to get saved. This seemed very realistic to me. This is so realistic and it's so ironic because it shows an accurate description of childhood rapture trauma. They don't understand that this is maybe not the best outcome. So the people who made this movie understand that children will hear about the rapture and completely freak out but that's not only acceptable it's made out to be a positive outcome like this is a good thing because the kid got saved i mean if you scare somebody into making a decision is that decision legitimate does 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 jesus and and god like do they take into account your motivations for accepting you're a sinner and asking Jesus to take you into heaven? Or do they say, well, you were kind of coerced into this, so it doesn't count? No, weirdly, the IFB belief is even if, so your motivation for getting saved should be to accept Jesus and go to heaven and accept God's love. But even if you do it because you're afraid of hell or because you're afraid of the rapture, that's not the correct motivation, but you do still get to go to heaven. However, if you are like, so let's say you were an 11 year old kid, you had a rapture scare, you freaked out and you prayed and got saved. When you're 20 something, they will come back and preach a sermon at you and say, well, if you only got saved because you were scared about the rapture, are you sure that your motivations were correct? Are you sure that you were really saved? And then they will make you feel horrible and get saved again. Oh, it's like crying out at camp. Yeah. So mm. they, they, the answer to that question is yes and no. They get you on both ends. That's kind of f- Yeah. It really is. Yeah. So the, the, this is a way that that rapture teachings are used against people because you should get saved because you're afraid of the rapture. But if you only got saved because you were afraid of the rapture, are you really saved? And then it it leads to children, like the age of Janet's little sister being portrayed in this film, um, not being able to sleep at night 
because they think like as far as they know they truly accepted jesus but what if they didn't do it good enough what if they didn't mean it enough what if they just had the wrong motivation are they really saved so little kids are up all night praying for god to save them because they're afraid of the rapture but then if they pray for god to save them because they're afraid of the rapture it's a self-perpetuating cycle and it's not as simple as I'm saved, I know that I'm going up in the rapture. Because there is always that doubt, especially for little children raised in this. You can talk about Jim getting saved. So Jim survives his cobra bite due to the fact, uh, as it is implied in the movie, that it, that Janet and the Baptist pastor, the good pastor, Janet's pastor, prayed to get him saved, to uh, get the cure to show up in time for him to receive it and not die and the cure does show up in time for him to receive it and not die and he recovers and he becomes saved and he becomes a christian and he becomes a christian because he realizes the power of prayer and the power of god yeah and and so at this time jim and patty get married and they get together and they have a nice little life together as a couple as a married couple and they show a little montage of Jim and Patty together, you know, hanging out, having fun. It seems like they're very happy. And watching that, I was like, oh, that's cute. One, one evening, the Baptist pastor, the one who prayed for Jim and got him saved from the cobra venom, comes over to the home and he's talking about Jesus and he's talking about when Jesus is coming back and he's talking about the rapture with Jim. At this point, Patty kind of is still hesitant and doesn't know if she wants to get saved or not. And she says that she doesn't think that she needs to because she's a good person and she tries to be kind to other people. Yeah, I have a quote from what she says. Patty says, my minister says, we don't have to get hung up on all that theology stuff. God is love and he's not going to destroy us because we can't help doing wrong, is he? Fair point. So, but Patty is, is really skeptical, but Jim is really starting to get with this plan of salvation stuff. The pastor, so this is where the snake bite comes back in. The pastor makes this analogy. Well, your body couldn't produce the antibody for the venom, but somebody else's blood was the cure and all you had to do was receive it. Well, your body, like you are a sinful person and you can't cure your own sin, but Jesus's blood is the antidote to sin and all you have to do is receive Jesus. It was a quick, clever metaphor. I, I'll question, give did, did you see the metaphor coming from like the minute he got bitten by the snake? No. I just thought, this is wild. This dude got bit by a snake in this movie. I just, I bet all of our ex fundy listeners saw that coming a mile away. So now I want to know, like, did y'all, did you see it coming? Um, see, I didn't get that. There um, is... Yeah, I figured you probably didn't, but I wanted to check. To be totally honest, I completely forgot that he used the snake bite as the metaphor later in the movie to try to get Jim to get saved. Huh. This is this is a very this is not an uncommon fundy metaphor. So it made sense that it would like I had not seen this movie in oh, at least 12 to 15 years. So I did not remember the plot details on that level, but the minute he got bit by a snake, I thought, oh, I know where they're going with this. 
did you remember and and think oh it's going to be snakes and venom when he said that he was a guy who worked at the zoo no i did not okay no it was when he got bit i thought oh right i know where they're going i know i know how this is gonna go so this is like a really common metaphor in christianity right it's not it's not among the the most common christianese metaphors that we see like um the wheat and the tares running the race um being in a battle those are some that are more common and when we talk about salvation metaphors regarding accounts or ledgers i think are are more common than this particular one but it is it is on the list okay so if there was a like a different movie where a character had a lot of debts and somebody paid them off mm-hmm. and he was and part of, and that was part of the plot of the movie then you would expect them to say oh well just like somebody paid off your debts to free you to have your family and buy your home that you need to buy be able to live more comfortably jesus paid off your debts with his blood and his sacrifice and so that got rid of your sin and now you can live free of sin that's yes. and i think i have seen a christian movie with that plot <laughs> i'm sure that they've made it i think possibly that was a part of the mormon beauty and the beast movie that i saw they did a mormon beauty and the beast movie they sure did oh i can't remember the title but one day i'm gonna find it and make you watch it the next time that they announce uh oh they're doing a snow white remake maybe what we'll do is instead of reviewing the snow white remake we'll review the mormon beauty and the beast <laughs> how many beauties are in it is, Just is one. there a wait Just so one. there's a beast and there's not like eight beauties no and he's like, i have to pick one of you but i'm gonna pick all of you no <laughs> so there is some there is some rough theology in Jim's salvation scene about receive versus asked. The pastor likens receiving salvation to when Jim received the blood transfusion at the hospital, but Jim was unresponsive at the time he was given this blood transfusion. Um, so he didn't ask. It was it was a passive thing that happened to him, not a thing that he did. So the pastor tells him all you had to do is receive it. But then the pastor says, well, actually, all you have to do is ask Jesus to save you. So the whole analogy kind of falls apart because Jim didn't have to ask for the blood transfusion because he was unresponsive. The doctors just gave it to him. And then Jim says, I'm ready to accept Jesus. I believe it. And then the pastor doesn't lead him to like do a sinner's prayer and ask Jesus for salvation. Although the pastor just told him you have to ask for salvation. And Janet was led to pray and ask for salvation. The pastor doesn't tell Jim to do that. So we are really getting theologically tangled up on the question of ask versus receive. And this may or may not help clarify. The IFB would believe that Jim's profession of faith, so when he says, I'm ready to accept Jesus, I believe it, the IFB believe that that's plenty to count him as saved. Like, that's, that's fine. That's enough. You don't have to actually pray a prayer. But they would highly suggest that the pastor lead him through a sinner's prayer so that he has a more significant moment to look back to and know that he's saved in the future. Okay, so they, I mean, I guess they are thinking about your, your future and, and how you're going to 
function within that society then. Yeah. Because you're the moment you get saved is an important moment. Right. So, and this isn't an IFB movie. I just did think that was a little weird theologically not to, because he could have just explained receive or ask and just didn't. In a movie full of exposition, they left that part out. The next thing that is going to happen in the movie is the rapture. Would you like to go take up the offering and come back and get sucked up into heaven? That sounds good. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. We are back from our break. We're talking about this movie, A Thief in the Night. Not a bad movie, a, a short movie at one hour and nine minutes long. Uh, and we are about halfway through that movie, maybe a little over halfway through that movie. Um, so when our friend. Patty's friend, who, who was the pastor, was was telling all of the other teens about Jesus. Earlier in the movie, he had described the beast, and he had described the mark of the beast as being something that is taken either on the hand or on the forehead, correlating to the number 666. That is important to know going forward. Right. He had mentioned there's going to be a one-world government after the rapture. There's going to be plagues, there's going to be the Antichrist. He had set up all of these things that are going to happen after the rapture. So the rapture happens. Patty wakes up just like in the scene that we saw at the start of the film, and she realizes that Jim has vanished. Right. And, and she hears a radio broadcast saying that everyone in the world is, has vanished who has been, that, that people, that there is speculation that it could be the rapture. Right. And a minister is on the radio saying, 
Well, some people speculate that this could be the rapture, but I'm a Christian and I'm sure some of you are listening. So the proof that we are here and able to discuss it proves that this isn't really the rapture. I felt like this was very much a shot at Christians who weren't the right kind of Christian. The whole movie is because Patty is also that. I I do want to point out right before the rapture scene happens. So the movie is showing us what all of our main characters are doing right before they get raptured. Janet is baking a cake at her family's house and she asks her little sister to go get a stick of butter from the neighbor. And the little sister is still worried about the rapture. The the little kid says, okay, well, just make sure you're here when I get back. This poor kid, (laughs) Janet says, oh, don't worry, sweetie. If I'm gone, you'll be gone too. They are still portraying the ongoing trauma of this child as a normal and good outcome. And fortunately, both Janet and the little sister do get raptured. So this child's um, trauma in movie canon has come to an end. Yay. That made me mad. Like the, the, the movie very much portrays it as like, this kid is scared all the time and that's a good thing. It's just like a fun little cute detail. That I mean, sometimes you see that in movies where there will be something that's incredibly traumatic and people will just laugh about it. And that's kind of what we do on the show, you know? Yeah, but it's my own, my own life, my own trauma more than <laughs> yeah. anybody else's. And you're seeing it on a movie. <laughs> so like you were saying, the flashbacks have caught up to the beginning of the movie. Um, Patty wakes up, Jim's not there. She turns on the special TV broadcast from the UN where it's announced that the UN has formed UNITE, United Nations Imperium of Total Emergency, UNITE. The Imperium. 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 And apparently the guy who is announcing that the Imperium is happening is the beast He's the guy, or or he's the Antichrist or something? He's not the Antichrist because he refers to somebody else as being the leader of Unite. So if he's the guy who is speaking for the... So that guy would be the Antichrist, the leader of Unite. If he's speaking for the Antichrist, then he is representing either the beast or the false prophet, which may or may not be the same person. I'll explain it to you in like January. <laughs> he's, But he's talking about the Imperium. And it is your duty to become a citizen of the Imperium and get the mark of citizenship on your hand or on your forehead. And I thought that like the 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 the, the beast was supposed to be like charismatic, right? He's supposed to be like uh this dude, I mean, he yeah. has the charisma of like a wet pool noodle. <laughs> He's he's like if you combined I wanna say if you combined like Woody Allen and Mitch McConnell is the vibe that I'm getting from him. (laughs) Not Woody Allen being like neurotic. This guy's like, if Woody Allen decided that he was only going to do serious roles from then on and like combine that with the vibe of like Mitch McConnell, that was the vibe that I got from this guy. I'm like, this dude is this, you can't be the beast. You are not, you don't have the X factor. You're not interesting. (laughs) Tell me you're with me on this. No, I, I, I get it. Um, I think maybe the reason this guy is so bland is because he needs to also do a ton of exposition. Uh, the, the guy on TV, he refers to this group as a one world government. 
And he assures viewers that as soon as the emergency is over, this government will be disbanded and everything will go back to normal. Through newspapers and TV clips in a montage, we see that the Imperium has required to take people to take a mark in their right hands and on their or on their foreheads. You can choose. The movie makes a very odd mistake here because in scripture, it says you have to take the mark on your right hand or your forehead. Hang on. Yeah, Revelation 13, 16. And every English translation says right hand or forehead. And when they show this guy who's the spokesman for Unite showing off his mark, it's on his left hand. And it's not like the image is flipped because he's on TV because he's wearing a watch on the same hand. I, d- I don't get how they made that mistake. It's so weird. Maybe the guy's left-handed. I wear my watch on my right, on my right hand because I'm left-handed. I guess, but later, so they show scenes, the movie shows scenes from a, what, what do they call it? The, the Unite sp- ID Center. And they're sort of giving people face tattoos in the Unite ID Center. Yeah. And it's like, uh, and, and the, it's the, I guess the computer readout or the binary code readout of the number 666 is the, is the thing that they're giving people. It's kind of a cool, it's kind of a cool little code looking thing. I mean, if you're trying to get a face tattoo, that would be kind of a cool face tattoo to get. Not going to lie. <laughs> So the thing is, though, when they show these people lining up to get the mark at the Unite ID Center, they show them applying it on a citizen's left hand as well. And we can see clearly that it's her left hand because not only it appears to be her left, but she's wearing a wedding ring on that hand. Maybe in order to get people to agree to be in this movie, they couldn't actually put the mark on their right hand because the people got kind of skittish about actually taking a 666 on their hand, even for a movie. But they show people getting it on their forehead. Do they show him with it on his forehead? Yeah, because there's a scene later where Patty's running through the city and she runs into an elderly couple who both have theirs on their forehead. I guess it's just an oversight. That is such a weird mistake to make twice. It's that, sorry, that just blew my mind that I'd never noticed that mistake in this movie that I recall before. And it just, it weirded me out. um, Patty during the early tribulation is doing a lot of walking around town, looking very bummed. We start to see businesses that have signs in the window with an image of the mark that say citizens only on the signs. So she's not allowed to shop in stores in her town. Things aren't getting that bad for her yet, but she's being edged out of stores um, because they are only selling to people that have the mark. Patty at one point is standing in line at the ID center to get the mark, but she gets distracted by somebody who drives past in a car and they never tell us who that person was, um, which is, is one of the, weird plot holes in this movie uh and again christian movies of this genre typically have a lot more than one weird plot hole so that was unusual so after patty misses her opportunity to get the mark on tv that night the guy speaking for unite announces that everyone without it is now subject to arrest 
because everybody should be a good citizen and take this mark. And as he's making this announcement on TV, a Unite van with soldiers inside pulls up at Patty's house and knocks on the door. She is able to hide from them, but she now feels like things are getting pretty rough for her. I would like to point out, do you remember when fundies were kind of going nuts about they're going to force us all to have vaccines and your vaccine card is the mark of the beast. They're not going to let you shop in stores without it. You remember all that? Oh, yes. Does it make more sense now, like seeing the way they portray the messaging on TV, like everybody needs to be a good citizen and do this. And then it's, well, if you don't have it, you can't shop in stores. And then if you don't have it, you can be arrested. Does it make sense where the paranoia was coming from? Of like, they're not going to let us shop in stores unless we have a vaccine card. They're not going to, they're going to arrest us if we don't get vaccines. Yes, that was my thought as well. And whenever I would see people say that on the internet, I said, I would just say to them, no, you have it all wrong. Um, COVID is the mark of the beast. And in order to avoid getting the mark of the beast, you have to get the vaccine because the vaccine is the blood of Jesus. Oh, and I would just say that to people on the internet and they would get just like really angry at me or they get really, they would get really confused. I'm like, no, you have it all wrong. The anti-vax people, if you look and you take their, and I would like take, who was it? There was the, the one guy who was very anti-vax is that I did like an anagram of his name and it was, and it was something to do with six, six and like added some letters together and made it six, six, six. And then I'm just like, see, like you can tell it's six, six, six. Because there was people that were like, Fauci's name means 666 in, I don't know, whatever language. I'm sure you saw those memes. It was, yeah. yeah. You know, you know what name is actually 666? What? Ronald Wilson Reagan. Interesting. 666. So does that mean that Ronald Reagan? So, I mean, in order for Ronald Reagan to be the beast or the answer, it would have to be a post-tribulation rapture right yes and also a late one because the tribulation is only supposed to be exactly seven years long so this that the tribulation start the tribulation must have started in 2013 because i saw also other people the other thing that i would say was that no covid if you get covid and die that means you're being raptured and i would troll people that way yeah I would say the disease, the, the the disease, and the death from the disease is the rapture. And if you don't die of the disease, then you're not saved all the way. So check back with us when we do. We are going to do a series on the rap the rapture, of the Book of Revelation, end time prophecies. I'm finally I'm in the process of writing it. It is a beast to write, no pun intended. But I will share my opinion on whether Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist. In that, when we get there. Big if true. Yeah. So back to Patty. Things are not going great. She's about to get arrested. She runs to her old church and she finds her former pastor just despondent. He's praying and crying out to God. He's brokenhearted because he led so many people astray. And now he sees the truth, but it's too late for him. Patty and the pastor are found at the church by Unite Services, Unite Soldiers, and they are arrested and thrown in jail. 
Patty is shown in jail an indeterminate amount of time later. A jail guard tells her that Reverend Turner, her pastor, has taken the mark and he's going to tell everyone that they should too. And it's just for the good of everybody. But as the guard is leading Patty out the back door, there's a miscommunication between jail guards and Patty sees Reverend Turner outside the jail being loaded into a hearse with a bullet wound through his head. So the guard clearly was lying to her. She Mm. runs, she takes off running. She escapes into the city of downtown Des Moines, which is almost totally deserted for no apparent reason. Well, I think Des Moines just must be a very Christian city. So there's a ton of people that got raptured away. Yeah, but when they're showing scenes in the suburbs, there are plenty of people lining up to take the mark. Hmm. So like, like there are tons of extras in other scenes. How did they get the city that clear? Because the whole thing is set in Iowa and filmed on location in Iowa. I just assume it's like, uh, you know, when you're playing Grand Theft Auto, there's not that many cars on the road. Yeah. I, I assumed it was kind of like that. Or like when you're playing Need for Speed, you have to like race against people on the street, but they can't have you racing against people on the street if the streets are full of cars and you have to actually like deal with traffic. So they'll have like a few cars here and there. Yeah. I just, I, I'm more wondering about the logistics of movie making. Like, did they have blocks marked off to have them deserted for the movie? I assume so. Because it's like deserted, deserted. I assume that they probably didn't want to, because if you're making a movie, you can pay people for a day of work to just like have them show up and stand in line at the store or something. That's fine. They could film that and that's easy. But if you're going to have people driving cars through your movie set, then I think that costs more money. And that's probably just where they were focused on the budget is my thought because this movie while it is like it isn't a terrible movie it is clearly a low budget movie the budget for this film was it's on wikipedia uh sixty eight thousand dollars sixty eight grand what's that adjusted for inflation today so they made it in 1973 1973 yeah, so $68,000 in 1973 is about $470,000 today. Can you imagine making a, a popular movie for half a million bucks today? Mm, no. I mean, I'm sure people can do it because the tools to make movies have never been more accessible to people. But like 470000 like half a million bucks for a hit movie. I mean, I don't know if this was a hit movie, but I'm sure that it made at least that much and more back. Oh, yeah. So the movie, I have not seen whether it played in theaters or not. Um, It's not clear based on anything that I turned up. And because this is a movie review, I didn't dig that deeply into it. But... Um, the movie made about four million, four point two million. Um, the majority of which, according to Wikipedia, via a book called Superchurch: The Rhetoric and Politics of American Fundamentalism by Jonathan J. Edwards, 
um, made, yeah, it made 4.2 million back, most of which came from audience donations. Wow. So that's a successful movie. Yeah. So wait, where are we? Oh, Des Moines. Yes. <clears throat> so Patty runs terrified through the streets of Des Moines and with the soldiers hot on her trail, she then remembers, oh, wait, I do have a friend who didn't get raptured. Diane probably didn't get raptured. So she calls Diane. No, because she saw Diane and Jerry in the car when she was waiting in line to possibly go. Oh, and is get... that who was in the car? Yeah. So she uh, she is waiting in line to possibly go get the Mark of the Beast. The Beast and um, Diane and Jerry pull up in a car and she runs up and goes and says hi to them and then doesn't end up taking the mark. Oh. And so she sees them and she knows they're not raptured. So she calls them on the phone and they say that they're going to meet her by the dam so she steals a unite van to get out to the dam which is pretty badass there's a very thrilling chase scene in this movie that, like there's a solid chase scene in this movie. i imagine most of the budget went to that helicopter <laughs> they have a, a real helicopter um like chasing down her van as she's driving through the fields of iowa to get to the dam it does seem like back in universe, it does seem like a lot of firepower to track one unarmed lady. Well, there aren't that many people left because all of the, I, I assume that if you're a Christian who believes this, you're also the kind of person who thinks that all the people who don't believe this are sort of like gullible sheep who will believe anything. So there aren't that many people that weren't either Christians or have taken the mark by now is what you're speculating right they assume that if you haven't taken the mark or, or that if you've taken the mark or that if you're not saved then you're the kind of person who would be fine with taking the mark and there's very few people who wouldn't do that yeah and that's definitely reflected in the scenes at the id center where you see people bringing their little babies to get the mark and that sort of thing yeah which think about people who do home births and don't give their children social security numbers. I wonder if anybody, do you know anyone who would have like a 666 in their social security number? Can you imagine if you had a 666 in your social security number? I wonder if they block those numbers out. I mean, maybe it's possible. I bet that would be really fun. I though. bet the social security administration has a program where nobody gets issued a new card that contains 666. That would be hilarious, though, if somebody got it. Like, imagine if you were a pastor, you get your identity stolen, and then you get a new social security card, and your social security number now has 666 in it, and you go to the government and say, I can't have this. And they say, we can't change it. Yeah, because you're only allowed a certain number of reset social security numbers in your life. Yeah. Pretty sure. And most people never need one. Right. Anyway, um, Patty gets out of the van she flees into the forest and the helicopter loses her but then catches her again on an elevated railroad bridge but just as they're about to land to take her out they the ele the helicopter pulls away and just lets her go for no apparent reason i was confused by this the reason becomes clear shortly yeah we do find out in a little bit yeah. because she makes it to the dam being chased by baddies unite people 
United Nations in uh, trying to get her to take the mark of the beast or trying to kill her. And she reaches the dam and she sees Jerry and Diane there. And they show that they have the mark of the beast now. And that they've been, they've been working with unite to help them find, to help unite find Patty the whole, it was a setup all along. Yeah. So Patty is cornered on the dam between Diane and Jerry and unite. She tries to climb down the side of the dam to try to get away, but falls to her presumed death. At which point, as she hits the water, she wakes up back in her bed. She realizes it was all a dream, but it's Groundhog Day. We get this scene from the beginning. It's Groundhog Day. It's the exact beginning of the movie all over again. So we're starting over. The rapture has happened. Patty is alone. Her husband has been raptured. And now it's even worse because she knows what's coming. The movie ends on a long shot of a ticking clock. Say, what would you do if you ended up in like a rapture groundhog day situation? <laughs> Another question. What, like, so if you don't get saved in time for the rapture, everyone around you gets raptured and you don't take the mark of the beast and then they kill you so that you don't take the mark of the beast. What happens to you? Do you go to heaven? If it, So if you ask Jesus to take you to heaven after the rapture and then you get killed do you go to heaven you have no idea the can of worms you just opened up <laughs> so oh my god <laughs> like the worst possible question so if so you're a person who heard about the gospel before the rapture but you decided not to get saved and then the rapture happened and you realized oh no i had it all wrong now i should get saved that's what you're asking like what happens to you then yeah and then you say please jesus take me to heaven so here's some ground rules if you take the mark you're done for you cannot become saved after taking the mark if you don't take the mark and you are alive you're in limbo if you don't take the mark after surviving the rapture but you also do not get saved and they kill you you go to hell if you don't take the mark and you do get saved, you can go to heaven. However, you get like a second class place in heaven until a thousand and seven years later when Armageddon happens. And then you finally get to be like a full member in heaven. Also, if you, some people believe if you hear the gospel before the rapture and choose not to accept it, God will send a delusion on your mind so that you will be unable to get saved after the rapture. So the only people, some people believe, the only people who could possibly get saved after the rapture are people who did not hear the gospel and reject it previous to the rapture. Is this in the Bible? Is this all in there? Or is this just like... That's the second worst possible question. <laughs> yes, it's in there, but like in extremely obscure prophetic language that can be interpreted a million different ways if you even believe that this thing is literal to begin with wait so it says you go to second class heaven i'd have to look in, up the i'd have to look uh, up the verse well, let me see, i can see if i can find it second class heaven so what's what's second class heaven like you get to be you're like 
you're in heaven with everybody else, but there's something about like a lower seat at the table or something. Here is an article from Liberty University about salvation during the tribulation. So you're in heaven, but they only have like the in-market games. They don't have NBA League Pass. Exactly. Oh, that's kind of bad. And you have to wait for the Trailblazers to be on national TV, which they're f- never on national TV in order to watch them. Okay. Well, that yeah, but then more- like once the Trailblazers win the championship, then you get to be, then you get the the whole pass. Okay. So in, in second class heaven, you get to watch as much basketball as you want, but the Lakers always win. Right. Or is sure. that hell? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so some people, some people believe that yeah you you can get saved but then if you die you don't get full heaven membership until after the uh until after armageddon which will be anywhere from a thousand and seven years to a thousand and a thousand years and six months or whatever after you die um some people believe if you heard the gospel previous to the rapture you cannot accept it after the rapture which actually terrifies a lot of us because so let's say if the rapture happened and I didn't get raptured, now I'm one of those people who heard the gospel and didn't accept it, even though I tried really hard to accept it. Um, so if the rapture happened and I didn't go up, I'm screwed. I'm way more screwed than you because you would still have a chance to be like, oh, maybe that was a rapture. I should probably talk to Jesus real quick. And like, I don't, I would not have that option because God would send a delusion on my brain to make me unable to accept the gospel. Yeah, but I've been, I've heard of it before. Yeah. I just think. But I'm like more screwed than you are because I've heard it more than you have. I feel like if God is going to blame somebody for not trusting Jesus, it's going to be me, not you. Are you sure? I mean, if the rapture happens for real, chances are he's blaming the Jews for it. Everyone blames no, the Jews for everything. There's, That's the, no, there's all this special stuff about the Jews during the rapture. I'll do it. I'll talk to you about it. Uh, I, I, thanks. I hate it. Uh, there's like a million this, special rules. Like the, the Jewish uh, set of rules for the rapture and the tribulation is like an entirely extra set of rules. This, the, okay, we're, we're going to have a, a special episode <laughs> where we talk all about this stuff. I'm sorry. We can't get into this now. This is so loony to me so the at at the end of this movie the rapture has happened and she's like oh no the rapture has happened i know what's going to happen to me and that's kind of where it ends so it's just kind of to to scare you into going to get saved it seems like is the point of this movie to me and so oh and there are three other movies in the series and i'm going to watch the second movie in the series tonight because now i'm hooked And like this was this was truly like yes it was triggering but it was truly not as bad as I expected it to be. So the second movie is also told in flashbacks like the same in the same kind of manner that the first movie is. Um and the the opening scene is Patty is awaiting her execution. Um and in these So she's in the second movie. Yeah, she she is the main character. So the second movie is how she got through the real rapture when it wasn't a dream. And like more of her tribulation experience. Um, and she still would not get saved, but she also still would not take the mark. So eventually she gets caught and she's going to get 
executed for not taking the mark. Um, and in these particular movies, all the executions happen by uh, guillotine. Ooh. Which is... I mean, I guess that's humane. The source of a lot of my childhood trauma. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, how was it learning about the French Revolution for you? I didn't, Gavi. I did ACE. <laughs> But yeah, the in the <laughs> in the next movie there is just like a ton of beheading. So I'm kind of glad we did not we do not need to be watching that. Um, especially not right now, but at any time that's not maybe something that needs to be top of mind. Um, um so Patty in the end is about to be executed. She's witnessing to other people, but it's unclear whether she ever actually got saved. And then she is finally, she is strapped down onto the guillotine. And just at that moment, an earthquake happens. So the soldiers like run for safety and Patty's still strapped down there. And she screams out, I want the mark. But before they can come give her the mark, the blade falls and she dies. Wow. That's the end of Patty's story. I mean that's that's a horror movie for sure. Yeah, that's a, but this is like considered very appropriate for children to watch in the IFB because it's about the rapture and they should be scared. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I mean, this movie was kind of good, though. This, Yeah, it, it's. I think this movie is useful to understand where some of the fundamentalist religious anti-vaxxers were coming from, like when they say things about the mark of the beast and you can't buy or sell without it, you're going to get arrested if you don't have it. Um, I think it's helpful to know where those delusions are coming from because, you know, when we, when we talk about people who have those kind of delusions, it's very clear that some people who believe that way are just beyond help. They don't want any part of, 
of being talked down to a more reasonable position. They don't want to be in your life as a person who doesn't believe that. They are just kind of little tornadoes of harm and damage around every running around haywire. Um, but a lot of the people who believe that sort of thing are not that way. And if you are feeling like it's safe to talk to somebody who believes that way, and if you do want to help or <clears throat> help or reason with somebody who believes that way, it's very useful to understand where they're coming from and why how this idea got into their head to begin with. Uh, it is wild that I was allowed to watch this movie as a kid, <laughs> especially parts two and three with all of the violence. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm trying to think of my final thoughts about this. Um, on one hand, on on the propaganda end, I think I get what you're talking about. As far as on the movie end goes, it's not the worst Christian movie that I've had to watch. It changed the Christian movie industry like actually making a good movie. Randall Balmer, who writing for Oxford University Press said, it is only a slight exaggeration to say that a thief in the night affected the ev evangelical film industry the way that sound or color affected Hollywood. Like when you were talking about your uh, experience at the haunted house, at the, the Halloween hell house. Yeah like three years ago when we did that episode, the thing that I remember you telling about was that was how it was like a walkthrough theater. And there was a storyline where some, where you were raptured or, or where, where the rapture happened. And it was basically the storyline of this movie. I think this movie affected the stories that evangelicals tell about people who are left behind during the rapture. This was one of the very first fictionalized accounts of that with characters and fictional events to make it more real rather than just telling people this is what's going to happen to you, actually having a story about a person. This was a pioneer in that the left behind books and movies would never have happened without this movie. That's so interesting. My other thought about this movie um, and how it departs from other Christian movies that I've seen because a, a decent chunk of this movie was taken up with exposition that was coming from pastors and pastors giving the gospel or stories about the rapture or warnings about the rapture. A lot of the other Christian movies that I've seen will just like kind of just drop a chunk of a Christian sermon into the movie for like eight or 10 minutes. You'll be just watching a sermon in the middle of a movie. And that will just be one of the scenes of the movie. Like it'll just be cut from somebody's church service and they'll be like, the characters go to church. And then here's eight to 10 minutes of a pastor speaking about what's going on in the church. And they'll do that two or three times. Like I'm thinking back to when we watched the burning hell, it would just like be a cut to the pastor talking about something. And then he would do a sermon illustration. And they would act it out. Yeah. And the I felt like the preaching in this movie was a lot less obtrusive. No, it felt like it made sense with the plot of the film itself. Yeah. I this movie is so interesting. The thing that really stuck with me is how they portrayed this little kid who clearly has rapture anxiety and trauma even after getting saved. 
they can see that it's tough for that little kid, for Janet's little sister, that they can't extrapolate that to their own children. That's wild. Like, you ever hang out with somebody, um, and, and like with people of an older generation, and it will be like, oh, yeah, my uncle, or, or oh, yeah, my brother was a football player. And now he can't think right, and then they'll laugh about it, or he's he's a little slow because he was a football player, and then they'll make jokes about yeah. it. Yeah, and I'm like, and now you're thinking like you think back about that, and you're like, oh, that's not that funny. But to them, like of that older generation, that was just kind of something that they would joke about. Like this kid is like horribly terrified of the rapture happening and getting left behind, and they're just like, yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah. We all, we all just deal with that, you know? Yeah. Am I making sense here? Yeah, you really are. And I think, I think this episode will be really enlightening for people who do not have rapture trauma among our listeners. I think cause I, I, I want people like you to understand where it's coming from. Because for me, like I was that little kid. I was told that my salvation was 100% secure because I had been saved and that I had nothing to worry about when the rapture came, but it still caused me fear and anxiety. I feared for people that I loved that would be left behind because they weren't the exact kind of Christian that I was. I feared what if I did the getting saved wrong and I get stuck here. And these stories of terror and horror and gore still affected me very much as a young child even with the idea that I would most likely not be here to experience it. So I think I think I want people to to understand where this rapture trauma comes from. Do you think that there's more trauma because you had a visual depiction of it? I would say no because the depictions that were not visual were so much more violent. Interesting. Okay. Because I was hearing sermons about the rapture that were far more violent than anything in this movie series. I do think the movies maybe added to the trauma. Yeah, this is just scratching the surface of the things that I heard as a little kid. Right, because when we were talking about Passion of the Christ, there was the scene, you know, and how horribly violent that movie was. And then we watched... And then you told me about the things that people were saying in church that were anatomically impossible that would have been happening to Jesus during the crucifixion. That kind of like I I watched this movie and I that movie and I was thinking how could you get more violent than that and they got more violent than that. Yeah, Um, I watched that movie like super super pregnant and eating popcorn because it just wasn't that shocking compared to things that I'd heard in church as a little kid. Yeah. Uh, anything else we want to say, or do you want to wrap up now? Let's go ahead and wrap up. Um, we will we will surely come back with more uh, in times discussion at some point in the future with abundant trigger warnings as we are able to give. Yeah, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Next week, we're investigating a sort of urban legend. In It's an urban legend that the Soviet Union managed to drill a hole down into hell and then lowered a microphone and heard people screaming in that hole. And it, it was the, the, the voices of thousands and thousands and millions of people being tortured. 
so we're talking about that next week as the second part of our of our Halloween themed programming, and we hope that you guys will enjoy that because it's a very interesting urban legend to to uh, to pay attention to. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, you can follow our show on Facebook and Instagram and Threads at Leaving Eden Podcast. You can join our Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash Leaving Eden Podcast. Join the Facebook group. Join the subreddit. Um, Sadie, your socials? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music or on Twitter at Hell Yeah Sadie and on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. And you can follow me on all the socials at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You guys have a great day. Bye-bye.